0: The following audio is from the Grove Church Marysville campus. For more information about our church or to listen to previous sermons, check out our website at grove.church. We're in a series called Happy Trails, as you can see by that video, but uh, today is part two, and if you got a Bible with you, we'll be in Psalm 121. If you don't have one, uh, there's one in the seat in front of you. Of course, if you got a smartphone with a Bible app, you can turn there. I wanna say something that I mention rather frequently, but if you own a Bible but don't bring it, I wanna encourage you to bring it, only because I think it's good for you to get familiar with the pages and also kind of get a mental picture of where certain books are at within the Bible. So Psalm 121. Is where we're going to land. Before we jump in, a couple of things that I want to mention. Um, first of all, it was kind of cool yesterday. Somebody sent me a text saying, "Hey, look, there's a church up north that's doing iHeart too, and they had a whole uh, publication or a whole publication uh, an article um, in a, in a publication about them doing iHeart in August and what they're doing." I just thought that was really cool. And again, just churches that want to reach out and love people well, and that's what we've been doing, and it's it's been uh, pretty awesome. The second thing is this: uh, frequently, there's people that ask about the property. And what I mean by that is, as a church, we own almost 58 acres up in North Marysville. And uh, like what's going on, the goal has been to sell it. And forever, it's just been kind of stuck. It's stuck in the courts and, and some appeals about the development of it and the developer that wants to buy it. And, and so the answer is always, I don't have an answer. Keep praying. Um, but here's what I want to say. This Tuesday, there's a pretty important meeting at 10 a.m. that I just want to ask you to pray, out, pray about. Just ask for God's favor. And our goal is to really sell it and, and move on and be able to do some of the things we've been dreaming and hoping to do um, here at the church. And so um, that's coming up. The hope is that there's an agreement made that it doesn't have to stay in the courts for another, could be over a year and a half and just stuck. So pray about that meeting. I don't have a lot of specifics, but hoping that as we come together that we find a resolution that isn't stuck in legal stuff. So anyway, pray for that. Um, Psalm uh, 121 is where we're going to land. And what we're doing in this series is looking at the Psalms. We're taking on the Psalms of Ascent. And last week we talked about the idea of ascending is to rise. And this was Psalms uh, from 120 to 134 that were Psalms of pilgrimage. And, and what it means is that three times a year, the nation of Israel would take a pilgrimage from whatever cities that they were in in the nation to Jerusalem to celebrate God's goodness. And so their pilgrimage Psalms are Psalms of ascent. And three times a year that would happen. The first one would be, if you're taking notes, during Passover uh, to celebrate God's goodness and their deliverance from Egypt, they would gather in Jerusalem and celebrate Passover in the early part of that calendar year. And then 50 days later, they would have the, the celebration of first fruits and that was another pilgrimage they would take to Jerusalem. And by the way, another word for that is Pentecost Sunday. And, and, and that is actually today on the calendar. And so today would be Pentecost Sunday as a reminder, uh, which also, as you look at Acts 2, we talk about Pentecost and the outpouring and the promise of the Holy Spirit coming. So for Feast of First Fruits and the third pilgrimage festival they would celebrate is the Feast of Ingathering. And that was to celebrate God's goodness in harvest and all that God had provided, and that would happen in the fall. So they would celebrate, they would gather. I want to read this quote that I mentioned last week, and we may do this every week just to get your frame of mind, you know, where we at as we look at the Psalms. Pastor Josh Moody, in his book Journey to Joy, reminds us that the Psalms are a field guide to our emotions, I think that's important. Before we go to another person, before gossiping or slander or creating bigger problems with how we feel, this is what he says, the Psalms were written to help us put our feelings in the right place. Enjoy these Psalms, they're meant to be read and sung and digested and wrestled over and most of all put in your backpack and taken with you on a spiritual journey to the Father heart of God. And again, just to give us frame of reference as we think about the psalm Psalm 121, I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray. And this psalm is a reminder of the need that you and I, all of us, have for God's help. Verse 1, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Lord, today as we walk through this, we invite you to help us understand that there are some of these verses that we bristle at internally because we go, man, I love the wording. That sounds nice, but it sure doesn't feel true. And so I pray, God, for you to enlighten us at at the core what's really going on, what this is really about. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, and even as I prayed, we we read some of these words and it's easy to bristle at what's being said here because we look at it and go, boy, my experience as a follower of Christ and what I read here seem to not kind of match up. What's What's the deal? And I want to walk us through it. So it starts in at verse one with this. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Now, it's important to understand it's not just this idea that if you're in Israel or you're even in Jerusalem and you look at the certain peaks that are around you or really hillsides that are around you and go, wow, look at that. That's pretty. Or for you and I, as we're on the I-5 corridor, we've got the Cascades over here. And even for us, we've got Pilchuck and Three Fingers and, and Baker and, of course, Rainier down there. And we look at that and go, wow. Or we look at the Olympics and the snow and the water and the Puget Sound and Hurricane Ridge and these different areas and go, wow, that's awesome. That's great, but in context, that's not exactly the picture. The idea here, and it's going to be followed by a question intentionally, is this, that there were certain people groups that lived on the edge of certain mountains or hills or up into these hills or mountains that would set up shrines to other gods. And and they would set up poles or certain temple areas or or little altars, and they would worship all of these other gods. And so when the psalmist in this psalm of ascent, as they gather and ascend on Jerusalem, uh, into Jerusalem, the reminder of, I lift up my eyes. Eyes to the mountains is this. While there are other gods on all of these other hills, I want to bring us into focus on what really matters. And so that's where this question comes after I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? And it's, it's in one sense meant to be a rhetorical question, but the question still remains, where does my help come from? And, and, and as they're traveling, To Jerusalem on pilgrimage, they would have been turning to one another as they sing these things or say these things to one another as a memorized song. Where does your help come from? The same is true for you and me today. Where does your help come from? Are you the kind of person that we say, hey, I'm a follower of Christ. I believe in what God did through me from the cross and Jesus and and all that matters along those lines. And so I'm following Jesus, but I find my help in my ability to worm my way out of circumstances. Well, I worry a lot until I finally get an answer and then I'm okay. Well, I talk to people and and I... process it over and over, and I lose sleep, and I'm up, and I'm full of anxiety at 2 a.m., and then somehow it just kind of goes away, or I just learn to cope, or whatever it is. Where does your help come from? Because most of us understand the right answer to that is what's coming in verse 2, but it's not necessarily something that you and I live out every day. Does your help ultimately come from yourself? Well, I'm smart enough. Well, I can cope. Well, I'll figure this out. Well, I'll get through. And your help comes from you, as Benjamin Franklin said. You think it's a Bible verse, but it's not. God helps those who help themselves. And it's not that the idea of that is some negative thing. The idea is, well, we have brains and abilities and hands and things that work and and we can collaborate with people and work through this and that's okay, but that is not meant to be your first line of hope and help. I lift up my eyes to the mountains where other individuals are finding help in many other things. Where does my help come from? Verse 2, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, why does he say it that way? Why does the psalmist say, comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth? And the reason is because the retort, the response of the Lord worshiper as they're gathering and pilgrimaging to Jerusalem The response is meant to be, I find that as a follower of Christ, I lean in to my faith. I lean in to what I believe about the nature and character of this God who says that he loves me, who says he'll never leave me or forsake me, who says to invite him into everything I face, who says as a challenge, come to me when you're weary and heavy burdened and I will give you rest. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Now, I want to read to you the message version of of this verse because I love how it's actually responding more specifically to the first question of this help from other gods in the mountains. It says this, My strength comes from God who made the heavens and earth and mountains. In other words, my God's got it all. My God's got the whole heavens figured out, the whole earth figured out. And so that's where I find my help is in him. There are people today who you'll hear certain phrases of of tapping into a higher power or harnessing the energy of the earth or whatever different phrases you hear about finding good karma or or blessings in their life, but there's nothing specific about it. And there's this general sense that what we do and and, and even followers of Christ have, have a tendency sometimes to do this is we hear something good from scripture and we go, I really like that. But then we hear something good that comes from other sources and we tend to to pick up certain belief systems from other areas of life. And especially in America, we take on what I would label, and I've heard it before, not from me, but American theology, that we kind of just rake in a little bit of every belief system. And so even followers of Christ could say, well, I'm just harnessing that good karma when karma has nothing to do with our faith in Christ and our need to lean on grace that doesn't come from my good works, just produce good works. And we've got to be very careful about this. But, but he says, my help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's not that we don't experience good things. It's not that we aren't blessed, but we don't worship those things. We worship the God who blesses us with those things. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It leads me to an important reminder because we use this word, the Lord, the Lord all the time. Well, we worship the Lord. We sing songs and you have the Lord, Jesus, we have God in it. And, And I want to help us understand, especially if some of you are relatively new to faith in Christ, there's three keys that I want to help you wrap your head around today that matter deeply to those of us that would say, I'm a person that believes in the Lord. I'm a person who looks at scripture and really wants to live my life based on the truth of God's word. And, and so if you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these things down. The first thing to understand about the Lord that is big to, to what we believe is this. He is omnipresent. Meaning this, he is everywhere all the time. There's nowhere you can go, no place you can travel, no circumstance you can end up in that God is somehow removed from your situation. That he doesn't know what's going on, isn't aware. He is there right now with you. He is omnipresent. Psalm 139 is a great psalm. It's one of my favorites. But Psalm 139 talks about if I, if I go over, you know, this area over here, if I settle on the far side of the sea, if I take the wings of the dawn to another location, if I go into the depths, even there you are and your right hand holds me fast. God is everywhere all the time. And isn't a God who's somehow absent from your circumstance, isn't somehow away from from where you're at and what you're facing. God is omnipresent. The second thing is this, God is omniscient. That means all-knowing. God knows everything about everything. And you and I have a hard time as humans wrapping our minds around that God can know everything because we're finite human beings. We have one brain and one experience through one lens of life that that, that we live and that's all we get. But God has a far more vast understanding of all that's going on from, from the, the idea that he doesn't even live in a realm of time. That once again, we can't even wrap our heads around that. We get 24 hours in a day and so many years in a lifetime and that's that. And God is outside of the realm of time. God is all-knowing about everything. There's nothing that goes on apart from him being astutely aware of those circumstances. And the idea there is we should find comfort that God knows. It doesn't mean things always go our way. It doesn't mean things are always perfect. It's simply that reminder that we can trust a God that knows. Can I hear an amen? And so for all of us, God is omniscient. He knows everything past, present, and future. And the final one is this, God is omnipotent. He has all of heaven's power at his disposal. And that's an important thing for you and I to understand as well. That it's not God isn't strong enough to take care of or God isn't powerful enough to deal with, you know, a person or nations or some dictator type ruler or whatever. God has all of the power of heaven at his disposal. And once again, it's important for you and I to go, well, here's the deal. If God knows everything and is everywhere and has all of heaven's power at his disposal, then why in the world wouldn't we trust him? It's really a rhetorical question. Why wouldn't we? Because those are three truths about God that as you read Scripture, you find to be true. Now, I want to I read verse 3 and 4. And again, I'm going to walk you through this because there's some things in here where we go, sounds nice, but for real. It's like some of the songs you hear on the radio. There's lyrics you hear, go, that's so pretty, but for real. Like, I would walk 1,000. know, I wouldn't. I would never do that. So, anyway, okay. Listen, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. And the picture here, again, is very important because this is not a blank check for why, if you're a follower of Christ, you should never struggle, you should never fail, you should never be confused, God should always deliver, God should always rescue, God will always take care of all of it, and your life really is just meant to be simple and easy and there shouldn't be trials. Because that's easy to read into that. Oh, God will never let me slip? Well, awesome, I wish that were true. It's coming to a point that I'm gonna get to as we wrap up this psalm, but here's a couple of things that you still need to anchor yourself to. Number one, the picture here is God as a watchman. And God doesn't fall asleep. It's why you can reach out and cry out to the Lord at 11.44 a.m. on a Sunday, and you can reach out and cry out to God at 2 a.m. on a Wednesday. It's why you can pray and seek Jesus any time of the day, and, and there he is with you because he's omnipresent And he's not sleeping on his watch over your life. God doesn't rest from his oversight of us. And number two, keep in mind as we look at the picture of Israel, because that's the context of this psalm, as they journey to Jerusalem, the picture is this. There are times often when Israel felt deeply confused about where is God? What is God doing? Why is this happening? And there are times when you look at scripture and you can easily go, well, there's rebellion in the camp, there's sin issues, there's, they're not following wholeheartedly, they've invited other things into their world, and that's what's going on. And there are other times where there's a deeper lesson being learned about the nature of people and the heart of man that are going on that we don't always understand. And the same is true for you and I today. How many of you would say that, that since you became a follower of Christ, whenever that would be, you made a commitment, you prayed a prayer, you invited Jesus in because he paid the price for all of your sins. How many of you, since making that commitment, have never experienced any tough thing ever? Just raise your hands. None of us. Now, how many would say, well, since I became a follower of Christ, and for me it's been 27 years now, it's a big stretch of time, but how many of us have experienced hardship, confusion, frustration, that God feels far away, struggle in our faith? How many of have experienced those things? Just raise your hand. This is why you have to wear deodorant to church. Okay, but, but honestly... This idea, this idea when, when the writer says he will not let your foot slip, is not saying you won't face tough things. It's not saying you won't go through the ringer. It's not saying that the trials aren't coming. We've mentioned before James 1, consider it joy when you face trials. Yippee! Because you know the testing of your faith develops Perseverance. He's talking about that. No matter what you go through, God is absolutely with you and is not leaving you. That is a truth. That is something you can hang your hat on. That is in the midst of all that you go through. Uh, something you, you need to go. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna hold on. And, and somebody said it this way. This doesn't come from me, but it's, it goes like this. Just because the Lord is silent doesn't mean He's absent. And some of you need to put that on a bumper sticker and a t-shirt and the back of your underpants and wear it every day and be aware that, yeah, I said that. Anyway, but just because the Lord is silent doesn't mean that he's absent, but it doesn't mean you get to understand everything. My youth pastor years ago shared a story I never forgot, and it was a story that went like this. He grew up down in LA and we have I-5, they have the five, it's the same freeway, but anyway, they call it the five down there. Now, when he was down there, he was telling the story of him being on the freeway, and he's going 60 miles an hour, and things are good, he's listening to the radio, and then it changes to the traffic update or whatever, and the traffic comes on, and they say, hey, if you're on the five, you know, this spot, it's gridlock, you're stuck, you're not going anywhere, I'd encourage anybody to get off the exit now, because you're going to get stuck. And he's on the same spot on the freeway going, I'm going 60, they've got the thing wrong, they don't know what they're talking about, only to get a half mile, a mile down the road, and he gets stuck in it, wishing he had gotten off, but here was the deal. The point is, he could only see where he was at in that moment. But guess what? The news guy doing the traffic on the radio was listening to a guy in a helicopter up above that could see the whole situation and telling people, you got to get off now. And the same is true for you and for me. That we can only see so much with our finite eyes of what's going on, but because we have a God who sees everything, who knows everything, who is everywhere all the time, and has all of heaven's power at his disposal, why wouldn't we lean into a God we can trust like that? Verse 5 and 6, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon fall by night. And again, it's, it's this idea the Lord is our refuge in times of trial. And, and you're, you're going to face certain things, but at the same time, we've got this God who is right here with us. My wife, a couple of Fridays ago on worship night, which I encourage you to be a part of those is a great nights, just to worship the Lord without next service, next service, next service, like on Sundays. But my wife came up at the end, just felt like this, this picture. She often has kind of these pictures of how God is working or maybe what God is saying. And she came up at the end and said, you know, for some of you maybe need to hear this, but I just have this picture of, of, of like you or me and, and the Lord. And we're like face to face with each other. And there's a tornado swirling all around on the outside, but it's you and God. And it's a reminder for some of us that in the midst of all this stuff that's swirling all around us, what does my life look like? What is my purpose? What is happening? How is God? I don't see all this stuff, but even still, God is with me. And that's a great reminder in this psalm that the Lord is watching over us in the midst of all the heat of day and the challenge of night. And then this, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Stop. If you're human and you read that like I read it just at face value, you bristle at it and go, yeah, it sounds good, but come on. Now, let me explain what's really going on here because it's worth bringing up before we just breeze over and go, all right, let's pray. Once again, how is this meant? What is the context of these words as they're encouraging each other towards Jerusalem for a festival? Israel suffered harm. At times they were defeated in battle and sometimes there was a clear purpose to what was happening and they weren't inquiring of the Lord or there was sin in the camp or whatever. But they didn't always prosper. As a repeat, this is not a blank check on, on God's goodness only. And, and so... It, when you look at the Lord will keep you from all harm and watch over your life, there's something deeper going on that I really desperately want you to hear. And as I was studying and reading and going over these verses and looking at the words, I actually, when I went to the King James, it says this, the Lord will keep you from harm and preserve your soul. To me, that's very different than the idea that the Lord will keep you from all harm and your life will be just fine. It's not that your life won't be fine because ultimately God's got this. And you and I, if we have Christ on the throne, have an eternity that we hold out hope for. I'm gonna be with Jesus and we're good. But it's not that our lives are always easy. There's something deeper going on when the King James says, preserve our soul. No matter what happens, absolutely true, God's got you. But it doesn't mean it'll always go the way you want. Things will happen the way you think they should. But, but let me take you to Matthew chapter 10, where in my Bible, it's in red letters, which means Jesus was saying it. Jesus says this to the disciples, then and would say it, I believe, to us now today. Here, here, here's how this starts in Matthew 10, starting at verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, which is like, awesome. Sounds great, Lord. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. Now, you and I probably won't be flogged in a synagogue anytime soon. But nevertheless, he's reminding the disciples, people aren't going to appreciate what you stand for all the time. People aren't going to agree with, with things you say if you're talking about scripture and, 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 and God's work and, and, and who we're trying to be as Christ followers. People aren't going to always love that. On my account, you'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, when they arrest you, don't worry about what you're going to say or how you're going to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say, for it won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And then he starts talking about some tough stuff in this life. Brother will betray brother to death, a father, his own child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. Does that sound like an easy life as a disciple? But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, when you are persecuted, go to another place. Truly, I tell you, you won't finish going through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes, which the transfiguration happens right after this is fulfillment of that verse. The student is not above the teacher nor a servant above his master. It's enough for students to be like their teachers and servants like their masters. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, and Jesus might as well have been doing this, because they kept saying he's Satan or he's got a demon. If the head of the household has been, has been called Beelzebub, how much more are the members of his household? So don't be afraid of them. For there's nothing that will be concealed, nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak out in the light. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. And then this verse, listen carefully. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and body in hell. What is he saying? It goes back to that word soul. That if you want to trust and lean into the help and and, and the nature of the God we serve that loves us so much, it doesn't mean we don't face hard things. Jesus reminded the disciples, things are going to be tough. It's why every one of the disciples, except one, died a martyr's death. And that one denied him. Well, John was exiled to an island after being boiled in oil and surviving. But, But over and over, you look at this. Paul even said... One of my favorite verses in scripture, for I eagerly expect and hope I will no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by life. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Over and over and over we see in scripture, life won't be easy. And it would be easy to read a Psalm like this and go, okay, God, you've got me. And so it's always gonna be easy and fine. It's not the case. That's just simply not the case. What he's talking about is no matter what happens to you, it can't kill your soul. Whatever goes on in this world, it can't destroy at the core God inside of you ever. And he's very clear about that idea. He's very clear about that picture. That for all of us, trial can't steal our soul. Cancer can't steal our soul. Fighting with people and disagreements can't steal our soul. People that try to harm us or persecute us or do damage to us can't steal our soul. God's got this. It's what somebody reminded me of in the lobby just before service. It's why in Romans it says, neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor you know, uh, a bunch of different things can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The key point for us is as followers of Christ, we're walking in surrender to a God we can trust, to a God that is helping. And we're gonna talk about in a couple of these other Psalms how God does rescue and deliver and help. We are gonna talk about that. But as I end, I wanna mention this. Think about these reminders as a group pilgrimages to Jerusalem and how they're meant to encourage one another. They're singing or saying these words, even as Paul says, sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, lifting up the Lord to one another. That they're doing that as they travel to Jerusalem in preparation to give thanks for all of God's goodness. And while you and I are not traveling on a pilgrimage, most of us, to a physical Jerusalem, though some of you have been there, you know what we are traveling to? The book of Revelation says that someday there's a future Jerusalem that is our hope, that even Jesus says he's going to prepare for us. And so as we travel every day closer to that eternity for every one of us, we ought to remember things like Psalm 121, that every day that I live, I'm a day closer to that Jerusalem. I'm on my own pilgrimage. It's going to take some time. Some of you will get there before I do. I'll get there before some of you. But at the end of the day, it's an encouragement as a reminder as I travel towards Jerusalem every day, the promise of God for eternity every day, encourage one another to lean into the help of our heavenly father, amen? Lord, today, God, I enjoy so much, Lord, walking through understanding these psalms. And I pray for all of us, God, to, to take on this deeper Wisdom about, it's not that we don't face things, that's craziness. Jerusalem or Israel face all kinds of things. But God, to realize that we do it with you, that that we face things with you right there, that you walk with us and you have the power, that you walk with us and you know all of what's going on, that you walk with us and refuse to walk away because you're always there. God, I pray we would lean into you for help. God, I pray that we would find that you are the watchman at whatever hour we need, whatever day it is. And find great comfort that you can be trusted and see where you do work. And God, absolutely, when you do deliver and when you do set free, when you do encourage, when you do whisper, that thing in our ear that brings us to tears because we just need to know you're there. But on the other side too, that even when you're silent, even when it seems like you're far away, that's not true. And I pray we would walk in a gratitude and an encouragement of one another. Hey, we're making our way towards eternity every day and we get to do it with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grove Church Marysville Sermon Podcast. If you want to keep up with us, like us on Facebook, Instagram, or visit our website at grove.church.